Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. So here again, the, the words of Paul to us this morning. This son, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. One of the questions I get a lot, um, sometimes from some of you, sometimes from new people, just curious people, people say, so can you explain exactly what kind of church All Souls is? And then whoever I'm talking with will often explain some of their confusion. They'll say, well, you guys are liturgical, and you read lots of scripture, and you pray old prayers, and you sing old hymns, and you take communion every Sunday. But on the other hand, you also draw from lots of traditions, and you play new music, and you don't seem to take yourself too seriously. Um, on one hand, you're contemplative and quiet, but on the other hand, you seem to talk a lot about what's happening in the world, and you want to be engaged. And you guys laugh a lot, and you eat a lot. <laughs> it's always fun to talk through these kinds of observations and to hear what people have experienced, what causes them problems. That's not as much fun, but it's, it's important. <laughs> it's always uh, a helpful thing, I think, to talk about the reasons why our church exists the way we do the theological reasons for why we worship the way we do, to explain how we're trying in fits and starts, of course, but trying to be faithful to the kingdom of God as best we understand, to always hope to have an open eye to what God is doing, to where we need to change, to be thinking about all these things. But sometimes these conversations, I have to be honest, make me a little bit nervous particularly whenever I hear lots of emphasis on how we're doing things so different and new. And I always think, uh, I mean, what? <laughs> There's not much new about any of this. But I probably get a little more uneasy 
Because if what we're doing really is all that new, then we should probably like sprint for the hills. I've been around some new experiences of church and it almost always runs way off the rails. It's true that we are a, a strange little bunch. We have Baptist roots, we have Anglican leanings, we are confused. (laughs) The most straightforward, clear thing to say, though, about all souls, is that above everything else, we seek to be a Jesus church. We hope to live and love and follow Jesus the Christ and be faithful to the kingdom of Jesus who is our king. Now obviously this doesn't get us off the hook for answering important questions about how we worship and why we worship and doesn't every Christian church want to say we're about Jesus? I understand. But I think it is really important to return again and again to say at the heart of everything it is a community that is seeking to love and learn and follow Jesus, along with all the other people of God across time and history who have also sought to love, learn from, and follow Jesus. And it's also equally as important to say and be always corrected by Jesus and critiqued by Jesus because our expressions of the kingdom of God are never full. They're never perfect. And mixed in with our images of what the kingdom of God is like is always going to be some sinfulness as well. But Paul offers this poetic hymn in Colossians, what we just read a second time. And I love the fact that it's actually a hymn because some of the deepest, most profound, mysterious truths are things you just have to sing. And in this hymn, Paul is proclaiming to us why Jesus Christ is king. Why Jesus is everything that we hope for. Everything we believe in. Everything that we submit to. Why Jesus, not just the idea of Jesus, but all of Jesus is at our center. This is the Jesus who was God's son before time began. This is the Jesus who came among us in actual human history, and this is the Jesus who is now present and king everywhere. And this is the same Jesus who promises one day to finally, completely restore and renew all things. This is the Jesus that we proclaim as king. And Paul tells us that what's profound about this Jesus is not merely Jesus' teaching, but that Jesus is actually the full expression of God. I love the language Paul uses. He says, this God is the image of the invisible God. I mean, think about that for a minute. The image of the invisible. In other words, this is what we see of what we can't see. If we want to know what God is like, We begin by looking at Jesus. We don't scour through all of scripture or all of human philosophy or all of our best ideals across time and history and come up with a category that we call God and then go and see if Jesus fits into this. We go to Jesus and we say, this is what God is like. 
The fullness of God, Paul tells us, resides in Jesus. Not part of God, not an idea about God, not some of the truths that God reflects, but God. And this Jesus, who is God, is Lord over and the originator of all life, all humanity, all creation, all goodness. The scripture says that this Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn in the sense that he's first, preeminent, Lord, but also that Jesus is, in a mind-boggling sense, the one who literally gave birth to the world. Paul says, in him, all things in heaven, all things on earth were created. So whenever we pray and work so that the whole world would return to Christ the true king, we are not appealing to some tribal European sectarian religious vision, but whether we're calling all of us to return back to the source of our life, to return back to the source of our healing, back to the one who has infused us with life from the beginning, the only one who can heal these deep fissures that are ripping us apart I love how Colossians tells us that our human story begins in unity. We are one with God. We are one with the Trinity. The way Colossians puts it is that we are created together in Christ Jesus. We are created together in Christ Jesus. And it's not even just the human story, but as Paul says, all things in heaven and on earth. So sky and earth, rivers and mountains, those red foxes that run across the hills, the great sequoias, together with every kind of human, all of God's grand image bearers, every ethnicity, every color, every gender, every kind of person that exists, was birthed together in God. And the great tragedy is how we've separated. We have done a disastrous job of recognizing and living out our unity in God. And the healing for us then is to come home. The healing is for us to all come back to the God who birthed us. Philip Sherrard, a Greek Orthodox philosopher, said, it is useless for Christians to try to grapple with and find solutions for contemporary problems if the only intellectual weapons we have at hand are those which contributed to the production of these problems in the first place. In this Jesus, all things in heaven and on earth were created. And in him, Paul says, all things now hold together. This means that everywhere we look, we see someone who is held together by the power, presence, and energy of Jesus the Christ, 
the king of the world. Every time you lock eyes with another person, you are locking eyes with someone who is held together just like you are by Jesus the Christ. Whenever we look upon someone as an enemy, we renounce the truth of Christ that we are defined in another. Whenever I find myself in the Rocky Mountains never summer wilderness or tasting one of the radishes that Miska's plucked from our little garden, every time I take a little sip of Blenheim Vineyard's Chardonnay, I am encountering in that moment something that exists because the king of the universe who holds the world together holds that bit of beauty together. Jesus Christ, the king, is over everything and present everywhere. That's why the poet Gerard Manley Hopkins could say, Christ plays in 10,000 places. Everywhere we look, anything that exists, it exists because of Jesus the Christ. And this is why it is the most human and true and beautiful and healing thing to say, be embraced by Jesus the Christ. Come home. Come back to the one who joins you with God. Come back to the one who heals. And all of this is why we say with Paul today, as part of the church, that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We're not making up our faith. We're seeking to be faithful to Jesus, who is our king. Jesus, who has spoken. Jesus, who reveals God to us. It's why we would take such hope when Paul tells us that our king is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. In the same way that Jesus rose from the dead, he was just the firstborn from the dead. In the same way that Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus intends for all of us to one day rise from the dead. Jesus conquered evil and death by rising from the dead, but he was just leading the way. It's why we affirm today and in our rule of life and every time we're together, our submission to and our hope for the fact that, as Paul said, Jesus might have first place in everything. Our political ideals are not first. Our history is not first. Our family heritage is not first. Our gender is not first. Our socioeconomic status is not first. The degrees behind our name are not first. All of the ways that we divide ourselves and bring meaning to ourselves, none of those things are first. Our religious affiliations are not first. Our success, our reputation, it is not first. Jesus the King is first in everything. And our rule of life is our attempt, imperfect as it is, to say that Jesus is first. 
This is why to remember and proclaim over and again that Christ the King, this is why it is amazingly good news for us. Because hear again the words of Paul. For in him, this King Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And so today uh, is the day each year where our community affirms our rule of life. And if you're a guest with us today, we're glad that you're here and uh, um, Hopefully this won't be in any way awkward for you. We're going to do our best to make it not awkward at all. We do this on this particular day because next year, uh, next week, I mean, uh, we Christians, we start the new year. It begins with Advent. I know that really screws up our calendars, but uh, the story that we live by more than the calendar um, that Hallmark hands us is the story of God. And our year begins most potently with Advent. And so beginning next week, we're going to start to tell the story again. We're going to start to live in the story again. And actually, as you leave today, there's some artwork out in the foyer. And this is artwork that's been created within our community. And uh, it's pieces from different parts of the church year. So I invite you to, to look at those pieces and look at them in order if you can and read the little cards. And it will allow you to remember the story that we've been through and the story that we're about to begin again. <clears throat> But on this day, before we, we start our new year, I mean, if you want to put it this way, this is kind of the Christian New Year's resolution. That's probably really bad. <laughs> I knew I was going to get a groan from Evan. He hates New Year's resolutions. Um, but this is a way, before we commence the story again together, to remember who we are as a people together. To remember our baptism, to remember the story of the gospel, to remember the particular ways that we believe as a community we're seeking to live out God's hospitality and God's restoration and God's shalom. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And this is not uh, saying that you're taking on this rule. This is not so that no one is pointed out if you're not. Uh, so if you're a guest or, or whoever you are, just stand with us. And hopefully uh, you have the uh, insert from inside your uh, liturgy guide. And these first four affirmations, uh, whether you're taking the rule on or not, uh, you can feel free to respond if, if you feel free to in any of these questions. We'll pause after these affirmations. So church, do you stand here won over by Jesus' love and grace and in submission to the apostles' faith delivered to the saints? Are you ready for joyous obedience to the calling of your baptism, remembering that your old life has been buried in Christ and that Christ has raised you to new life? And are you eager to follow God's two commands, to love God and to love your neighbor? Yes, by God's Do you desire to participate in community with all souls Charlottesville, to yield your life to Jesus' authority and Jesus' scriptures, and to freely give your heart, your joy, and your resources to a shared way of living in this world. Yes, by God's mercy. 
And do you recognize that you are loved by God with or without this rule of life? And will you receive God's grace however it comes to you this year, whether this rule of life experience is how you expect it to be or not? And will you believe with your whole heart that it is not your own strength, commitment, or devotion that will yield fruit, but all will be from God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose? And do you humbly embrace the responsibility that comes with taking on this rule of life before God and alongside your Christian community, knowing that we will depend on one another to live together in the Jesus way? And if you're not taking on this rule of life, do you stand here in solidarity with others in your community? And will you give them your support and prayers? And now for any of us who, for the first time, are affirming this rule, or if you are simply reaffirming it with us, I invite us to read a rule of life together. Because we are a community in the way of Jesus, and because God has first loved us, we commit to love God by our obedience, submitting to Jesus as Lord over our life, including our money, our sexuality, and our power. Because the Trinity forms us as a people designed for relationship, we commit ourselves to generous hospitality by living with one another in tangible expressions of community. Because the gospel renews everything, beginning by awakening our heart to true life, we will open ourselves to see and hear God, allowing God to restore our mind, body, and soul. Because the kingdom of God rules over everything, we will join God's work of bringing shalom to our home, Charlottesville, and to the world. Now, Jim Mann, who's, uh, if you know him, he's uh, uh, an English professor. And once you're an English professor, you're always an English professor. And he has noted um, that there is not a period at the end of the final line of our rule of life. And when he first said this, I thought, he was uh, you know, chiding me uh, that we did not do a very good job proofreading, which he may have been doing. But he also said that he thinks that's purposeful because it means we still have work to do, that the, the period isn't there, which is absolutely right. And what we also want to do in this moment, because we believe that our call to be a community together is not just for our own purposes. It's to be God's people blessing and loving the world. I'm going to invite all of us to turn out these, toward these windows and look out toward uh, this place that we call home, this neighborhood, and then beyond this neighborhood, um, this actual place with people that we love and people that God loves. And if you feel the freedom to do it, I invite you just to, to put your hand out as a, as a, as a, as a sign of blessing. And um, this is a world that we're looking at. These trees, these people, these living rooms, the neighborhoods that extend beyond here, this this is a place that is held together by Jesus the Christ. It would not exist, it would not stand here if the power of the living God were not holding it together. And as God's people, we acknowledge that and we bless that. And we ask for God to continue holding it together. And those places even now, that feels like they're not holding together, like we're being ripped apart, like we're being torn asunder. 
We pray against that. We pray that Jesus the Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit would hold us together, would right what is wrong, would correct those places where we have neglected the truth of the Christ who holds us together. And we pray for God's goodness and God's blessing and God's healing and God's restoration over our home and over our neighborhoods and over the university that surrounds us and the city that we call home and the counties around us and the state and the country in which we live and this world that God loves. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.